Hello, and welcome to the Keepers of the Flame podcast. This is a show to shine a light into the darkness, to empower women, their support networks, and our communities to weather breast cancer, because together we weather the storm. But on this ocean, every wave brings you closer to home. Hello, and welcome back to Keepers of the Flame podcast, where together we weather this storm. I'm Joyce Williams, your host, and this is episode number two, Battling Breast Cancer, a Family and Friend Affair 2. This is part one of a two-part episode, and in this episode and in podcast number three, we're going to be taking a look at life through the different sets of lenses. How does breast cancer affect our loved ones? We will take a peek at how breast cancer is seen through the eyes of our family and our friends. And in today's part one episode of Battling Cancer, A Family and Friend Affair, we're going to focus more on the family aspect. How is breast cancer viewed through our spouse's eyes, our kids' eyes, and our parents' eyes? And then in our next podcast, number three, we're going to take a look at it from the friend and community angle. How is it seen through their set of vision. When together we weather this storm, yes, breast cancer is hard and it affects our life, but it affects the entire family and friend unit as well. When I kicked off this whole journey for myself, it started when I was at a playground with my kids and they were they were running around playing in the background. And my one of my best friends was there with me and I that's when I got the phone call where I had three masses that were found from my MRI image. And later in this podcast, we're going to talk about how it was viewed through my friend's eyes. But before we get there, let's fast forward time just a little bit because the second phone call came when I was home visiting my family that summer. And that's the phone call. That's the phone call. That's the one where the surgeon called to say, yes, we have your biopsy results and it is in fact cancer. I was outside of Target at the time. My mom, my sister-in-law, and I had gone shopping together and left the kids at home with the guys. And when my phone rang, I stepped outside, took the call, and of course, you know, your world completely crashes around you. But when I went back into Target and I saw my mom and I saw my sister-in-law, they knew. They were waiting for me just past the dollar section and they could tell from my face what the news was. And I asked my mom later, and she said that she already knew. She knew that it was not good news because I had been gone for so long. And we're going to take a look at how this journey affects a mother of a cancer patient as well. But fast forward a little bit more because I want to first take the lens from my spouse's perspective. So after my initial call where, yes, I had the three masses, I was with my friend, I got the call that, yes, it's cancer when I was with my mom. But then I went back home to my parents' house, and I had to have this tough conversation with my husband. And we sat in the side garden there, had a little picnic, and and had to have this tough conversation, had to say what was happening and what this meant. It was a hard conversation because neither of us wanted to be having it. We both didn't want it to be true, yet we processed information differently. I was shocked and tried to stuff it away and when I couldn't I'd cry. 
Brian didn't. He handled it differently. He was in denial. It couldn't be true. This terrible thing could not be happening to his wife. So he threw himself into research mode. He went straight to Google and wanted to soak up as much information as he possibly could because maybe then he'd have a little bit more control over it. Maybe he'd understand it better, have a better grasp of what was going on, or even better, find reason that it's not true. He Googled a lot. He wanted to know any and everything he could. He even looked up the actual procedures. How was the surgery performed? What were the different reconstruction options? He wanted to know it all. And to be honest, that bugged me because that wasn't my strategy. I wanted to just take it a step at a time, listen to what the doctor said, rely on my gut. And I didn't want to dig around on the internet because I didn't want to get overwhelmed and terrified by all of the information that was out there. That's not how I dealt with it. But that's what he needed to in order to process through to feel like he had a better grasp of what was really happening here and what could we do about it and where on earth could we have any ounce of control. That's the funny thing. You don't have control over a lot of what goes on when you're diagnosed with cancer. You don't want the cancer. You don't want to have to have these treatments done. We talk in therapy about how you have to let go of the things that you can't control and focus on the things that you can. And I think that that's true for our loved ones as well. What my husband needed to do was he needed to process through things at his own pace. And he could control his fingers on a laptop and researching that he could do. It's ironic that the internet digging that I despised in the beginning actually brought about two really amazing things. The first was he found a YouTube video. It's called The Breast Choice, and it's on my website, togetherweweather.org. If you go, you can find it. But this girl, y'all, she was hysterical. And Brian had me watch it, and I was a little reluctant at first, but I'm glad that I did because for the first time in days... I smiled so big, my cheeks hurt, and I couldn't stop laughing because she talks about the top reasons why she loved her mastectomy. And I'm not going to give them all away because you'll have to go watch the video. It's fantastic. But one of them, one of them had me in disbelief. I just was shocked that my boobs were going to glow in the dark. This girl too, she had a mastectomy followed by reconstruction. And once they were replaced with implants, the implants would glow in the dark. And I thought, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Is this true? I had to find out for myself. I just, it gave me this really crazy off the wall motivation to make it to the other side. I wanted to make it through my surgery, through my treatment, through the switch out surgery so that I could run my very own Mythbusters and find out for myself, will my boobs glow in the dark? And if I made it through all that and it didn't work out, meh, who cares? I'd already be done. But if it did, then how amazing would that be? So in the end, my husband's internet digging made me laugh and gave me something to look forward to, however silly it might have been. The second thing that he did that was very helpful for me and it came about from his internet digging was he found a local photographer that does goddess sessions. And the whole purpose of these photography sessions were to 
focus on your inner beauty, to use grounding, to just celebrate that your true beauty radiates out from within. And this photographer, y'all, she's amazing. And she's able to capture that in these breathtaking photos. So what my husband did without me knowing was he went ahead and made arrangements for her to do a before the storm. So before I had my surgery, a during the storm in the midst of all of my treatment. And then on the other side, photo shoot as well, because Brian wanted me to know that I was beautiful throughout it all. He loved me and he knew it, but he wanted me to know it. He wanted me to feel it. And I think that this opportunity that he found and he orchestrated, that was him doing. He took control over that. And I think that that was empowering, not only for me, it was an incredible gift for me, but I think it was empowering for him as well because it was something that he could focus on. He could do. He had control of that. For a spouse, it can be difficult watching your loved one go through something this difficult and something this hard because you can't do it for them. You can't take away their pain. You can't wish it away. And they have to be the ones to walk. And to put the cherry on top, even though we want and value our spouse's opinions, at the end of the day, it's ultimately ours. It's our decision. And that's another piece of control that is taken away from our spouse, of our loved one. They don't have control that the disease is happening. They can't make it stop. They can't do it for us. And and to some extent, the final say does not come down to them either. Talk about a loss of control. And that can be scary. So for my husband, when he was able to do that for me, I think it it was definitely empowering for me. And I think it was for him as well. My husband came to all of my appointments with me. He held my hand. He sat there. He listened. He asked questions. Although I will be honest, that first appointment that we went to, we were loaded down with intense emotions, both him and I. I was scared. I cry. He was frustrated. He was scared. He got angry. It's important for us to remember that this is affecting our spouses too. And as much as we need their support, they have to have time to process this for themselves as well. It's hard on all of us. Nine years prior to this, we went, but when I was diagnosed, we had been married for nine years. And nine years prior, we vowed to love each other in sickness and in health till death do us part. And this diagnosis just put that all into perspective. My husband stepped it up. And he told me that he fell in love with me, with all of me, not just that one part of me. I had heard stories about how some men would leave their loved one after the surgery was over saying, I just can't do it. It's too much. And when Brian, when my husband heard about that, he said, that says more about those men than it does about the women. He continued to stay by my side. He helped nursed me through my recovery, taking care of my drains, helping me when I was in pain. Brian's motto was, I fell in love with you, all of you. In fact, I did a three-day walk out in San Diego and interviewed a handful of survivors. They're also on the website if you want to check them out. But when I shared them with my husband, there was one of them, one of the interviews was his favorite. And he said that the reason why he liked this particular interview so much is because the girl was completely herself. And she gave some really good advice to other women out there. She said, 
If a man doesn't love you for you, for all of you, then he's nothing. And Brian couldn't agree more. That doesn't mean that we were without our own friction. We had our moments. We had our arguments. Because it's, it's not realistic to assume that you can make it through a trial such as this without there being any friction. There's going to be friction. There's going to be arguments. We had ours. It's going to happen because this is laced with intense emotions. But the ultimate key here is communication. You have to be able to talk with your spouse about what you're feeling, what they're feeling, and connect with one another. I've heard about how something like this, like a breast cancer diagnosis and having to go through this whole journey, how it can either make or break a relationship, especially a marriage. And I think in our case, it strengthened it. We are more connected, but that doesn't mean that it was easy. And that doesn't mean that we didn't argue either. It's ultimately all about communicating and staying connected and open with one another. One thing that my husband and I are really good about communicating about is intimacy. I told Brian that I wanted to do a segment on intimacy because after I had interviewed over 30 women, this was a big ticket item. This was something that everybody wanted to hear more about because after having had surgery done or chemo or radiation, your body is physically altered and your mind changes too. It is it's a trauma who you are as an individual and who you are as a couple and that intimate relationship, it's bound to get affected as well. When I told Brian that I wanted to do this segment, I was curious what he was going to think about it. We talked together, but for me to have this conversation, I was like, what's he going to say? But he was cool with it. He said, absolutely. I was kind of shocked about that because me over here on the sidelines am turning a thousand shades of red and sweating profusely at the thought of sharing this very, very, very vulnerable topic with people that I don't really know. But it is a very big piece about this journey, and so it's worth talking about. Truth be told, intimacy after cancer was harder for me than it was for him. I had to learn to be okay and accept myself as a new being, as a new person. There were parts about me that were very, very different, and I had to learn to accept my new self, and that was hard, especially because I I had a bilateral mastectomy and reconstruction, and I could not feel the sensation of my own breasts, and that was awkward, and it just reminded me of all the things that cancer had taken away. But from the guy's perspective... From my husband's perspective anyway, he was fine with it. New toys, new things to experiment with. No, but in all seriousness, as he had said before, he loved me all of me. And it does take some getting used to because you have to reconnect and find ways to together accept a new normal. But he and I have always been very good about talking about that and that is key. We are better. We are stronger and we are more connected. And the kicker is we talk. We are very open about it with one another. Having those tough conversations about intimacy is going to be critical. If you're a little shy or self-conscious and you're not sure how to start a conversation like that with your spouse, then consider going to therapy to learn some strategies for how to at least bring up the subject. Because in the end, it is 100% worth it. Here's, here's the take-home points, y'all. One, communicate. 
talk to them, ask them. And then two, recognize they want to be there and support you, but they have to process it themselves as well. Now let's pick up our glasses at a different angle. Let's talk about the lenses that we're looking through from a parent's perspective. Nobody wants to see their kid go through something hard. I know as a mom, it's my job to protect my children. I would do anything and everything to protect them, to shield them from pain. But the reality is is that we don't always get to have that control. We don't always get to stop something hard from coming across their own paths, their own journey. The best as parents that we can hope for is to be there to support them, to love them through it, and to teach them the skills for rising up strong on the other side. That's my role as a mom, looking forward at, at my girls and what I want for them. And kind of reflecting back about, okay, I'm, I'm the child, and how was this viewed through my mother's lens? And it's kind of a similar thought. When I came back in to Target, once I got that phone call from my surgeon that I had cancer, and I fell into my mom's arms crying, telling her that I had something inside of me that was scary and could, could kill me if I didn't do the right thing. That was hard for me, and, and I would imagine that it's just as hard for her. She told me that she already knew. When I came back in, she already knew that I had cancer because I'd been out outside on the phone for a while. But she told me that somehow we were going to figure it out and that she would be there and she would help me through it, whatever I needed. I just needed to tell her the dates and she would stop everything and be there for me because she was my mom. And even though she couldn't make this go away, like we often want to be able to do for our kids, take that hard thing and just let me do it so they don't have to, my mom knew that that wasn't possible. So she did everything that she could to make it easier for me. I know my mom was nervous and I know that she didn't want this for me. We were also always raised to face our troubles, whatever they are, And you do the best that you can. And you try to find the good when you can find the good. And if you can't, then you just hang on through it and know there's going to be light on the other side. My mom supported me every step of the way. And any decision that I made, she had my back, no matter what it was. When I decided that I was going to move forward with the surgery, she said, tell me when I'm on my way. She was going to take care of the kids so that my husband could take care of me. She may not have been able to control and stop the cancer from happening to me, but she immediately played the mom role and took care of everything that she could take care of. I didn't have to ask, hey, can you help me with this meal? Can you pick this up? Can you be here for this? As a mom, she just did it. And that was a huge, huge blessing for me that I had my mom. She listened to me when I was sad And she laughed with me when I was punching jokes and trying to find silver linings too. For example, when I came home from surgery, I'm on the couch and I am on the pain medicine. I am delirious, folks. And my dryer breaks. And I remember my mom and my husband asking me, hey, Joyce, what do you want to do about the dryer? And I just said, blue. What What does blue mean? I don't know. Clearly, I was worthless at that moment. 
but I could roll over, go back to sleep, and know that the other grown-ups had this covered. My mom and my husband, they could deal with my dryer disaster. The next night when I was home, still delirious with pain meds, my little girl lost her tooth. Well, the tooth fairy has to come, regardless of whether or not mom is or is not feeling up to it. So I had to pass the torch off to grandma again, and we just kind of laughed about it. It was like, well, what else can happen? What else is going to go wrong? And just kind of had to find the humor and laugh where we could. And my mom was really good about helping me do that and just kind of going with the flow. Well, this is another adventure. What's next for the storybook, folks? We had to evacuate for a hurricane. Are you kidding me? A hurricane, not just a storm, a freaking hurricane was coming in right before my second chemo and we had to evacuate. And then once the storm had passed and the all clear was given for us to return back home, it was touch and go on whether or not we were going to get back in time for it. We had actually evacuated up to my parents' house and when we came back down, my mom drove back with us and we just laughed the whole time. We were laughing like, are you kidding me? Look at all this traffic. We can't get through it. Instead of getting frustrated and irritated and stressing out, we, we laughed about it. Like, really? What's next? Well, funny you say that because on the way home, what came next? Well, we had to cross over a railroad track and even though there was no train coming, the bars are down and there was no electricity there to be able to raise the bars up. So we're having to try to figure out how on earth are we going to get home with this roadblock here? It was just, it was an adventure. There was one thing after another, after another. And with my mom there, she and I just found ways to laugh about it. My mom came down Every step of the way, every time I needed my mom, she came down. She came down after my surgery, when I had chemo, over spring break when I had to do radiation and I needed somebody to watch the kids while Brian was at work. Anytime I needed her, she would drive that eight and a half, nine hour drive all the way from her house to mine just to be there. And that was incredible and very, very much appreciated. After my second surgery, I had a I have the BRCA2 gene, so I had to have a hysterectomy in addition to my switch-out surgery for my expanders for implants. They actually did those two surgeries under the same anesthesia. And after I had that second surgery done, my mom was here helping me with the recovery as well. And it was around Christmas time, and we had decided that we were going to be merry and holly and jolly and do everything that we could for the kids holiday spirit-wise. So we set them up with some ornaments and let them paint them. And all was great until one of them rolled off the table and onto the floor and smash broke. Well, I'm having to dry a child's tears while she's crying that her creation just got destroyed as my mom is on the floor picking up fragments of broken merriment. And we're like, okay, well, that was fun. Then I had this great idea. Well, I have this other ornament, you know, the one that has the little pieces of plastic that you put into different shapes and then you bake it and it melts. Yeah, well, that was a great idea until those decided to roll off the table and onto the floor. And then my mom is on the floor for the second time picking up tiny little granules of plastic from everywhere. Finally, we had had enough with the decorations and decided we're going to move on to baking. 
And that was great until the sprinkles from the cookie did the same darn thing and rolled all over the floor. They didn't have legs, but yet they ran everywhere. And so my mom again was on the floor picking up more of a mess. And she and I, instead of getting mad or frustrated, our eyes met and we just busted out laughing. Like, are you kidding me? Like, how can this story add one more thing? And I think that was the key for her and for me is we just found ways to roll with it, to laugh where we could. We couldn't control the hard things. So we would focus on the ones that we could. And my mom was really good about that. She could be mom. She could take care of my kids. She could help run me to places, run errands for me. That's the kind of thing that she could do. And she did. It was incredibly helpful. When I asked my mom from her perspective, how did this all settle with her? She said, well, you know, I didn't, I didn't dwell on it. We just, we just did what we had to do. That's the way we were raised. You have something hard hit you and you work your way through it. You just do. You do what you got to do. Now, I know that not everybody's family you know, operates that way. So how a parent is going to handle it is going to be largely dependent upon how they handle adversity themselves. I know I spoke with my husband's mom and I know she was scared. Shoot, we were all scared. And she would talk to me and ask me, are you sure you want to do this? Well, no, I wasn't sure because I didn't want to be doing it. But I knew that it was in my best interest. I knew that in the long run, it was my optimal choice. And I realized later that the reason why she was asking me these questions is because in her mind, she was afraid. She loved me and she didn't want anything bad to happen to me. And so she was processing that in her own way. So just as it was true with my husband or with any of our spouses, that we have to give them that space to be able to process this blow, the same holds true for our parents as well. However they process it and how my mom processes it might be different than how your mom processes it. And that's okay. I've always been daddy's little girl. I had that man wrapped around my little finger from the time I was little, just bat those little eyelashes and smile real big. We always had a a good running, running joke about that. But needless to say, I'm a daddy's girl. And when I talked to my dad about it, or when he would read things that I wrote, he would comment and send me a message back and say, I showed him what true courage was. That meant a lot when he said that because in my mind, in my little girl eyes looking up at my dad, he is one of the most courageous people I have ever known in my entire life. So to hear him say that, to hear him support me in that way, went a long ways with me. Daddy and mom, they came down quite a bit for my treatment. And one time, it was during my, for my third round of chemo, daddy was going to come with me and keep me company. And we just talked. We talked about everything. We talked about cancer and treatment, but we talked about life as it was for him growing up. We talked about science. We talked about math. He came with me into that room where I have treatment, my third chemo, and we played gin rummy together and just hung out and laughed. He told me more about my grandfather and how he was really good with math too. And 
we just bonded. He's a science and math guy too. And he knows that since I have this BRCA2 gene, I could have gotten it from my mom's side or my dad's side. But he knows that we can't dwell on that either. It is what it is. We are who we are. And we move forward with life the best that we can. And we make the decisions based off of the information that we have in front of us at the time. And we do the best that we can. That's my dad's strategy. That's the way he looked at it. I will say flipping it the other direction and looking forward at the future and my role as a mother and my children and what would I do? How would I respond? I would like to think that I could let go of the things that I can't control too. That's a work in progress, folks. But the truth of the matter is, is there's certain things that we just can't change. So then you focus on the ones that you can. And I think my parents did a phenomenal job with that. They were there for me. My aunt was on the phone with me prior to my initial surgery. And I was crying. I was bawling. My face was red. I was exhausted. I, I was a freaking wreck. And she said something to me in that moment that I have not forgotten. She told me, she said, this is hard, but you're going to make it through it. And she said, I just know. She said, on the other side, you're going to make goodness come from this. She said, I don't know how or when or what it looks like, but I know that, that you are going to find a way to bring good from this. And that's the moment that I stood up and I vowed, you know what? I am. I decided in that moment that I was going to write and photograph my journey in its entirety I wanted to be completely authentic. I wanted to be vulnerable and honest about my falls, which folks is hard for me because I am a darn perfectionist and I don't like admitting, admitting that I don't have my shit together. But I vowed in that moment that I would, that I would be completely real and transparent with this journey because I didn't want to just show that I made it to the other side. I wanted to show how that was done. I wanted to show my children, and any other woman that might be following in my footsteps, that yes, I made it to the other side. But that doesn't mean that I didn't fall. That doesn't mean that I didn't hurt. It didn't mean that I didn't bleed. I felt all those things. And I wanted them to know that if they felt it, it didn't mean that they were doing something wrong. This conversation that I had with my aunt prior to my even my first surgery When she told me, I know you're going to bring good from this, that's what sparked it all. That's what made me go, you know what? I'm doing it. It's scary and I don't like admitting that I don't have it together, but I'm going to do it. Because if I can be honest about this rottenest low, then perhaps I could bestow just a bit of courage to that next person, letting them know that if they felt that way, A, they were not alone, and B, it was not the end. It was only the beginning. Lastly, I want to take a look at it through our children's eyes. I think it's important for us to be honest and open and completely authentic about what's going on, but at a kid-friendly and an age-appropriate level as well. My children were little when I was diagnosed. They were four and five, and so I told them that mommy had a boo-boo, and it was the kind of boo-boo that you couldn't fix with Neosporin and a Band-Aid in the bathroom, and that I had to go to the hospital where doctors could use their special equipment to make the boo-boo go away. That's how I left it. 
until I found out that I needed chemo and that I was going to lose my hair. They were going to notice that more and they were going to notice my port. So I explained to them that I needed to have a special kind of medicine that was specific for this kind of boo-boo and that doctors were able to give it to me through a special door and that door was called the port. And it was to make my boo-boo, which they learned was called breast cancer, it was to help make that go away and to keep it away. I wanted my girls to feel like they had a sense of control in a time where there wasn't much that they got a say in. They couldn't help that I had the cancer. They couldn't help any of the things that I was having to do about it. But when I lost all of my hair, my littlest one, it was her job to pick out my hats every single day. She was my fashion queen and that was her role and it made her feel like she was a part of it. Here's a few of the things that my girls had to say about cancer. And I'm going to go ahead and apologize in advance for the sound quality because trying to record two little girls that are squirmy was not the easiest thing to do. But here's what they had to say. Tell mommy, what is it? what do you know about cancer? I know about cancer that certain doctors take away certain boo-boos. That's right. And Leona, do you remember when mommy told you yeah. about her boo-boo? That you had breast cancer and that a doctor named Dr. Rhea helped it go away. That's right. She did help it, help take it away from me. And who came to help watch with you guys when I had to go to the hospital? Gra- our grandma. Sage, what happened to mommy's hair when she was on chemo? Her hair fell all the way down until she was bald. That's right. And you had a special job. Do you remember you helped me pick out? Hat. That's right. You, every day that was your job as you picked out my hats. Leona, what's something that you would want other kids to know if their parents were having to go through cancer? I would tell other kids that it's okay. Sage, what is one thing that kids can do to help make a difference? They can do lemonade stands. Yeah, that's right. We made, raised money for um, breast cancer research. We raised it for a local charity for Susan Komen. That's right, so that other women could have the opportunity to have their boo-boos taken away. Sage, what's one thing that you would want the world to know about your mom? My mom is the best mom in the whole entire world. Leona, what's one thing that you want the world to know? That my mom was a cancer survivor and that she is an amazing woman and she didn't want cancer but she had it but it's okay because we can do hard things i love my mom because she's amazing in case it was a little hard to hear leona there at the end she said it's okay because we can do hard things and that's it folks we can we can do hard things and we don't have to do them alone together we will weather it Battling cancer, it is a family and friend affair too. It affects us all, but we are not in it alone. Thank you for joining us here today. For more information, please visit our online breast cancer resource center at www.togetherweweather.org. Check out some of the blogs that we've written about the top things that loved ones can do to help. And then feel free to share both those and our podcast with other women and their families who may be dealing with a diagnosis such as this. I'm looking forward to speaking with you all again soon. Until then, remember that together we weather this storm. You are never alone.